Hey everyone, welcome to the Behavior Trap Podcast featuring your host, Alan Lowe. The Behavior Trap Podcast is an interview-based format show that features everyday ambitious behavior analysts that are currently working towards getting their certificate, or already have one. I believe every behavior analyst is making a difference, and well, I want to hear how they got there, what school was like, what they would do differently, and finally, what they're doing now. Hey, Eden, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm not quarantined yet, so I'm happy. <laughs> <laughs> Living your best life, then. <laughs> I am. I've got to do a lot of work from home recently, so that's been fun yeah. and challenging. Yeah, I could see that. I think we are going to move everything online at my work next week, so that will be very interesting. Do you have like a set time period where they've said, oh, you're going to have to be, everything's going to have to move to telehealth or online until April 31st or March 31st? I think we said at work April 3rd, um, but I'm in Texas and I think that's actually going to be mandated by our governor <laughs> that public schools be closed mm. um, for the next two weeks. So, yeah. Oh. Interesting times. Ooh, how much news has he put out? Has he said anything like specific though? Like it's definitely going to happen or? Well, I know today it was public schools like K through 12 here are going to be closed. And so I, we got an email from our president, like president of the college um, that we're planning to close Monday through um, April 3rd. So I think, I think it's imminent. So just an interesting <laughs> time to be alive. <laughs> right you know i was thinking about this the other day like my grandparents like maybe they got to do like the world war yeah. like spanish flu some of these big diseases yeah. like this is our thing like this is what we get to experience <laughs> very true yeah like it's exciting but it's not exciting at all because there are people like dying so right right you know it's it is what it is i suppose it's a strange feeling for sure yes <laughs> so this podcast isn't about mortality. This <laughs> podcast is about behavior analysis. So how did you get into behavior analysis and what's your backstory for getting into the field? Okay. So I have um, kind of a roundabout story um, on how I got into ABA. Um, so I'll kind of take you back, back to the old age of 2012. Um, because back then I don't think that there were quite as many BCBAs around and I can't think of anyone who really talked about ABA back then. So it was very different. Um, and so I was actually in my master's program for clinical psychology and I had never heard of ABA, but there was, um, a classmate in my cohort, um, that talked about ABA all the time and she was doing her practicum in an ABA clinic. So she told me a little bit about how it's very behavioral, behaviorism focused, you know, cause you learn a little bit about that. Um, and a psych program, you know, BF Skinner, all that good stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And so I was interested. And then as I did my internship, I worked with families and children. And I had a couple of clients with autism, um, one in particular that was very challenging. Um, he had a lot of problem behavior at school. Um, and a lot of the time he would get pulled out of class, go to the principal's office, and then end up in our counseling office. And I just remember one day it really clicked to me that the class I think that he was in was like study hall, something that was really boring. Um, and so when, when he would have problem behavior, he would get pulled out of that class 
and get, you know, he'd get to go to the principal's office, which I'm sure was not super reinforcing, but then eventually he would go um, to the counseling office where I worked, which was actually very reinforcing. He got lots of attention. There were fun toys to play with, you know, it was really great. And so I remember it just clicked with me one day, like there's something to this. And I think the behavioral, you know, side of things would really suit this client really well. Um, so I talked with, um, uh, my cohort member and kind of got some ideas from her, did some research and then just really got into ABA. Um, so then when I graduated with my master's, I immediately, um, signed up for a graduate certification program in ABA, um, at university of North Texas and started working on my classwork, got an internship at the local ABA clinic, um, and just kind of took off from there. So it's a, it's a little bit different from your typical BCBA these days. Cause I feel like more and more people are in, um, graduate programs for behavior analysis. Yeah. So let's get into that a little bit more. So currently you are a BCBA, correct? I am a BCBA. I got certified back in like December of 2016. So it's, it's been a little a while. <laughs> yeah. So what school did you attend then? Um, so for my master's degree, I went to Midwestern State University in Wichita Falls, Texas, um, and got my uh, master's in clinical psychology. And then, like I said, for the graduate certification, I did that through the University of North Texas um, in Denton, Texas. Okay. And what was your day-to-day routine like? Was there a lot of studying? Were you a night owl? Maybe you had a morning bird? <laughs> I'm not a morning bird. Um, and back in my master's program, I don't remember it being super overwhelming, but I also wasn't married, didn't have kids, and wasn't working. So it was like all of my time and energy went into school, but it didn't feel, you know, too overwhelming. I think I studied every evening, um, spent weekends writing papers, all of that good stuff. Um, and then when I did my graduate certification, I was actually working as an RBT at the time. And that was a little more challenging just because I would be so tired by the end of the day. I did early intervention. Um, so I'd be so tired from working with toddlers all day. And then I would get home and study. And especially for my exam, that was that was a lot of time and energy. <laughs> <laughs> Who was your supervisor during this period of time? So I actually had two different supervisors. Like I said, I've kind of, I've jumped all over the place. Um, when I was still in Wichita Falls, um, where I completed my master's program, um, I had a supervisor named Rachel Bertelson. Um, she was like the first BCBA that I ever knew. And I, I she does know everything. I was going to say, I felt like she knew everything, but she does know everything. Um, <laughs> and... She was a really great supervisor. Um, she actually had a psychology background. So I felt like we very much kind of spoke the same language because we, you know, are not of the mind of disregarding private events necessarily, which I know that's like, you know, ABA slander. Um, but <laughs> we, we kind of understood each other there. And she's just a very um, good BCBA in that 
she was always very creative with the programming that she created um, for her clients. Um, she was never the type of uh, therapist that would, you know, you just just go out of the VB map and, you know, completely write a program based off of that. She would really tailor things um, to her kids and make it fun and enjoyable for them because, you know, ABA can sometimes be like school part two if we make it that way. Um, um, but she always tried to make it fun and enjoyable um, for our clients. So I really admire that in her. And then I had another supervisor. So um, when I left uh, the clinic in Wichita Falls, I actually went um, to D- the Dallas area and I worked at Children's Health in Richardson and they had an early intervention program, which I really like working with like small kids. Um, so that was really fun for me. And we did a naturalistic teaching method there um, called the Early Start Denver model. So just a little bit different um, type of ABA. But my supervisor there was Tiffany Sales. Um, she had actually attended um, the University of North Texas, like their um, behavior analysis analysis program. Um, and she was an awesome BCBA as well. Um, she just really um, knew her stuff like backwards and forwards. Um, and she loved like <laughs> challenging cases. So anytime we had a client walk through the door and nobody knew what to do with them, you know, maybe just a really strange, challenging behavior or something that was really um, hard to come up with a program for, she would jump on it and she would not, she would never say die. You know, that's what I would say about her. She would never stop until she had that behavior in check um, and had a great program um, for those clients. So I was really fortunate in that. I had two really good um, supervisors um, while I was working on my BCBA. Definitely. Is there, out of all those supervisors that you mentioned, is there anything about one in particular that you remember the most? Was I've had people in the past say, oh, I had a supervisor that provided dad jokes. <laughs> there's just like that very particular thing. What about you? Um, Goodness. I think one of my fondest memories is... Rachel had like injured herself at one point. Um, She was on some workout regimen. And so in supervision for a good month, she would carry around a bean bean bag chair um, as we would transition because in that clinic, we transitioned from room to room. And so she would um, carry a bean bag chair around while she supervised me. Um, And that was always kind of a comedic relief to see her plop down on her bean bag. So... (laughs) (laughs) The beanbag supervisor. Yes, the beanbag supervisor. <laughs> Do you have any tips for uh, incoming graduate students or maybe um, people get looking into the field? Gosh, I, have, I probably have a lot that I could say. My cousin is actually working on his VCBA right now. So I was, I'm always giving him a lot of advice. Um, as far as school is concerned, I would say really research your program. Um I think there are so many good um, behavior analysis programs out there. And like I said, back in 2012, there were not as many options. I feel like a lot of schools have created programs, which is great. Um, But, you know, for me, I really wish that I had gotten more intensive instruction in ABA. And with a graduate certification program, most of the time, you know, you just it's not going to be comparable 
um, to being in a full graduate program. And so I would just say really research the school, talk to people. You know, I've gotten really good at in recent years, if I have a question about something really specific, I'll look up people on LinkedIn um, and find somebody that goes to that school or has that certification, you know, and just message them and ask questions. And I think the nice thing about um, the field of ABA right now is we're still fairly small. And so I think we're all really willing to help each other and collaborate. Um, so that's kind of my two cents for somebody that's maybe looking, um, to get, you know, their master's or doctorate, um, in ABA. Definitely. What was your biggest takeaway from your graduate program? Um, like my master's program or my ABA program? How about both? Okay, man. Um, goodness. I think probably my biggest takeaway from my master's program, my psych program, um, is that you really become a therapist after you graduate. Um, so I think, uh, when I graduated, I really expected to like go into any situation with any type of client and really know what to do and know what to say and just be great and create all of this change. Um, and honestly, it's not really like that. You know, you kind of have to flail <laughs> for a little bit um, and find your find your footing, kind of figure out what kind of therapist you are. And I think that's true for ABA, too. Um, and I think probably from my certification program, kind of the biggest takeaway, I mean, it's probably really similar. Um, you're just not going to know everything um, when you get out. Um, and, and that's okay. It's okay to ask questions too. I think that was, that was a good thing about working with Tiffany is that there was never a dumb question, um, to ask. And she did not expect me to know everything. Um, and that's how we learn, you know, it's by being willing to say that we don't know something. So. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll go ahead and get into our next topic, which is always the, the thesis topic. But what was what was your thesis topic about? Did you have one? I did, did you have a topic of interest? <laughs> I did not have a thesis topic. So I did a two-year master's program. But at that point, I think it's probably changed since then, honestly. Like, it's been eight years. I think a lot of things have changed. Um, but back then, we had the option to do a thesis project or you could do a case study. And so I was really ready to be done at the end of my program. And so I did the case <laughs> study because it was a little bit easier. Um, and so I did my case study over, um, I think he was a male in his 50s that was struggling with depression. And so it was over applying cognitive behavioral therapy um, to that client and different techniques. Um, and honestly, it was a really challenging case and I, I didn't feel like I made a lot of progress. Um, but fortunately, the faculty that I had were really encouraging and you know, they were kind of saying, you know, with, with that particular case, there was not a lot that could probably be done without medication. And so they were um, really supportive. But no, I didn't I didn't do a thesis. Um, I'm sure if I did, gosh, like an ABA, if I'd done one. It probably would have been over like, goodness, 
maybe like pecs or just like kind of language acquisition um, because that's that's something that working in early intervention um, I became really interested in. Um, yeah. So <laughs> if you could, do you think you could kind of describe what cognitive uh, behavior therapy is? I've heard of it, but I'm not too familiar with that. Sure. So um, for all of the behaviorists, you're probably going to be banging your head up against the wall because it's not super behavioral. Um, but basically the idea behind cognitive behavioral therapy is that your thoughts, your emotions, your behaviors are all interlinked. And most issues that we have, it applies really well to anxiety and depression specifically, but it can be used to treat other things. Um, but basically, the idea behind it is that we have, we all have negative or unhelpful thinking um, that we've developed either just through like kind of biology and through life experience. Um, and that negative thinking really impacts, you know, our emotions and our behaviors. Um, so kind of an example of that would be maybe if you had someone that maybe is not that great at math, like, you know, that's just not their thing. And so they start thinking based off of their experience and maybe some biology, maybe that's a genetic thing. Um, you know, they start thinking, Hey, this is, I, I suck at math. I'm not good at this. Well, think about how that's going to impact their behavior. Are they going to be motivated? Probably not. Are they going to probably avoid studying? Yes. You know, maybe they will psych themselves out, you know. So emotionally, there's going to be an impact. And then behaviorally, we're going to see an impact. Um, you may be more likely to give up. You probably aren't going to devote as much time to studying. Um, you're probably going to see some, you know, different behaviors there that are maladaptive. And so part of kind of cognitive behavioral therapy is going in and trying to kind of change some of that thinking to make it a little more re realistic. So for example, with someone that may have the thought, like I suck at math, um, we would kind of work on being more flexible and saying like, this is not my strongest subject, but these are things, here are some things that I can do to try my best, you know? So that type of thinking creates more kind of cognitive flexibility, um, and can kind of be helpful. That's, that's a really like basic example. That's definitely not what we're usually treating. Um, but sometimes it kind of helps to, to explain it, to give an example. Um, so there, there's some behavioral components. Um, but I would say as a BCBA, um, I sometimes think like this, there's not much behaviorism behind CBT. Um, but that's kind of a basic explanation. Well, thank you. How did you get interested in the topic of your case study idea? So in working um, with early intervention clients, I think I mentioned this earlier. We use the Early Start Denver model, which was actually created um, by a speech pathologist. And it's a naturalistic um, teaching model. So, and, and you teach all sorts of skills with ESDM, but um, language is, is obviously is created by speech pathologists is a really big focus. And so what you do is you match your client's language. So if they just have sounds, 
then you're basically teaching them like tack commands um, with just sounds if that's all that they have. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you try to like one up it. So if they've got like one syllable sounds, then you're going to try to give them two syllable sounds until you're making a word. Um, So like to man for bubbles, if all they have is one sound, then it's buh. And then it becomes bub and then bubbles, you know, so you're trying to slowly shape um, their language um, to full words and then eventually multiple words and then sentences. Um, And so some, the majority of the clients that I worked with um, did really well with that model. But then we had some um, that we eventually used um, pecs with and, you know, that I found pecs to be a little more confusing. It's not as intuitive for me. Um, and so I'm not, not really sure exactly what my topic would be, um, but it may be trying to kind of build language through pecs in a similar way um, that you do with um, like the early start Denver model of like matching their language, if that makes sense, and kind of building it up and shaping it. Uh, yeah. But I just think language is really interesting and is sometimes really challenging um, <laughs> to teach. But I think as, as BCBAs or RBTs, we kind of have an edge that because one of my best friends is a speech pathologist. And the fact that we know so much about reinforcement um, and behavioral contingencies definitely gives us an edge as far as getting our clients to talk and motivating them to talk. Um so it's, it's just really interesting to me. I can imagine. What were some of the challenges that you had throughout all of this? Oh, man. <laughs> I think one of the main challenges um, that I had with the language is, so we worked with the same clients um, four days a week for three hours. Um, so we would have them, you know, if they came in the morning, we would see them for three hours, like every day in the morning and it's all play-based. And so one of the challenges that I ran into is like with that motivation, like continuing to make therapy enjoyable and exciting and continuing to find different play routines that would motivate that client to speak. So I sometimes felt like I was putting on some sort of performance or Broadway show <laughs> in therapy because we would <laughs> we would ride around on scooters or push the, the kids on scooters and, you know, um, throw like we had these little rocket things that we would shoot in the air. We had really elaborate play routines with pirate ships. You know, we really just were trying to kind of tap in tap into our imaginative side um, to get our clients engage and get them motivated because you know you need that data so um, (laughs) yeah I think that was probably one of the main challenges but it was really fun and exhausting all at the same time so this case study is it did it get published anywhere can people find it or how does that work out no I don't think it can be found um like I said I it I didn't reinvent the wheel or anything. And I don't know that um, (laughs) I even had that great of an outcome with that particular client. Um, So I'm sure it's somewhere in a filing cabinet um, at Midwestern, uh, (laughs) but it's definitely not online, thankfully. So following your case study and graduating, what was your experience like following graduation? 
so I kind of had an interesting experience. I was already getting into ABA. I knew that I wanted to get my grad certification. Um, but I didn't, I didn't really know what that process would look like exactly. Like at that point, I didn't even know what an RBT was. Um, so I'm mm-hmm. still trying to figure out, you know, what I needed to do to get my BCBA. Um, so I applied for a lot of, um, LPC jobs. We actually have something called an LPC intern. So we kind of do things backwards from ABA. So ABA, you know, you start working on your coursework, you do your practicum, and then you test for your BCBA and you're done. Um, And for the LPC, you go through your graduate program, you do a practicum, you take your test, and then you accrue 3,000 hours, um, 1,500 direct, 1,500 indirect. Um, So it's a little bit different. And I applied for a lot of LPC intern jobs and could not get a call back. Um, There's just, there's so many counseling programs out there and we are not as in high demand as VCBAs by any means. Um, So it's very challenging. And I was fortunate that I was so interested in ABA um, because I quickly um, ended up getting a job as an RVT and started working on my hours. Um, But it was a little rocky. It's, it's very disheartening after you finished your master's to not be able to find a job. <laughs> like, I can't stress that enough. We're, we're really fortunate in ABA. Um, and if you get your master's in ABA, but that's probably not going to be the case for you. Um, but yeah, that, that's a little rough to be sure. Where are you working out now? So I am actually not working as a BCBA currently. Um, I am a counselor at Odessa College in Odessa, Texas. Um, So I handle everything mental health related um, for a campus of about 6,000 students. Um, So that that kind of entails individual counseling. I do a lot of mental health trainings. Um, I handle crisis care. I advise on a lot of committees about mental health and just kind of disseminate um, information and basically do whatever needs to be done on the mental health front. Um, So I'm not currently working in ABA. I've done some contract work here and there, and I still like to do that um, to kind of keep my skills up. But um, with with getting married recently and working on wedding planning, I didn't really want to have a second job <laughs> to worry about. Um, but yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. I go back and forth between counseling um, and ABA for sure. And I believe recently, didn't you just get licensed too? I think you mentioned that previously. Uh, yes, I just received my full LPC today. Um, so I, I've kind of been laughing all day. The world is falling apart, but things are looking up for me. I got married and got my LPC, um, today. So I'm not really sure what to think about all of that. Um, it's kind of bittersweet, but, um, let's have like a a two second moment. We'll just clap. I'm proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I know my husband and I celebrated with Chick-fil-A because all of the restaurants are closed here. So, but we can go through the drive through. So there's, uh, not, there's nothing wrong with Chick-fil-A. Exactly. It's a celebratory food for sure. <laughs> um, so yeah, right now I'm kind of, I'm, I'm really happy in my current job. Um, but I think long term, I would love to find a way um, to kind of integrate some ABA into a counseling practice. Um, and kind of focus 
um, on building that up a little bit. I'm really interested in working with women um, with perinatal mood disorders, so postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, um, those types of things. But I'm also interested in, which I just don't think there's as much of demand for this, but I'm really interested in working with parents that have kids with autism or other developmental disabilities because I really think that they are kind of the lost population. Like we don't really think about the parents as much as we should. Um, and so I would love to get to work with parents at some point, but it's just, I, I, I put a lot of feelers out there and there's not a lot of demand um, because I think parents are busy, you know, and they've got a lot on their plates. Um, but that was definitely something that I got interested in working as a BCBA is that I would see that these parents really lacked in support, self-care, um, you know, maybe had some avoidance issues with implementing programs at home. And I think a lot of that is just due to being stressed and not having any stress management, you know? So that's definitely something in the future that I would like to do more with. Definitely. What's one thing you wish you knew before you started where you're at now? Oh, gosh. In my current job? Yeah. Oh, so whenever I came in, <laughs> there there had been one therapist that was there for not very long. Um, and I think there was a big gap between when she ended and whenever I started the position because there had been some sort of statewide hiring freeze. And so I came into the job thinking, you know, Everything would be set up. There would be paperwork. There would be procedures in place. Like I would just be kind of jumping into this. And I got there and there was nothing. I had an office with no, I mean, I had an office with a computer and a phone. And they were like, here you go. Start a counseling practice, basically. Like, let us know anything about mental health that we should know and, you know, get after it. So um, it was a little overwhelming at first. um, But I you know, created informed consent paperwork, you know, got procedures in place. And I'm really proud of what it is now. Um, And every semester I see more and more students um, for counseling. So I've really built it up. Um, And like I said, I I feel good about it. Um, It's kind of nice to have something that you can make your own um, without it actually being your own because it's like having a small business, but I don't have all the risk of having a small business. So yeah. And how has that worked out with like um, this new COVID thing? Has that affected you in any way? Or? We are trying to figure that out. So I, I, like I said, I got married this weekend. So I was out Monday and Tuesday. Um, <laughs> and then when I came back, I was informed that everything was online, but I was still to be in my office at work. Um, so I have been calling and emailing all of my students and either doing phone sessions with them or um, online sessions, but the online has been a little difficult. I don't know if anybody out there or if you've been trying to do any, you know, telehealth, um, this week, but it, it's a little glitchy because a million of us are on there trying to, um, do work and conduct counseling sessions and do supervision, I'm sure. Um, so it's been interesting. It's been different, but, um, I really like telehealth. I've done some in my own private practice that's very small. I have a very small kind of private practice that I'm doing on the side. Um, but I think definitely this is probably pushing us to be 
more engaged in telehealth, which I don't think is a bad thing. I kind of think that is kind of where the future is at. Yeah. Do you have any tips for those possibly looking for a job, maybe as like an LPC or a BCBA? Yes. Yes, yes, yes. So for a BCBA, you are going to have so many options thrown at you. Like you will be very surprised all of the emails that you get. Um, And I would say just figure out what's important to you and what you want. Um, Because money is great, but that should not be your motivator because there are a lot of companies out there that pay really well, that put you in situations that aren't ethical. um, And you probably won't be happy in that situation. I'm not saying that all companies that pay well are like that, but you just need to really be thinking clearly um, and do your research. Um, And mentorship, that is something that I would I would tell any BCBA that's starting out to ask when they're interviewing is what does your mentorship look like? What does your continuing education look like? Because you, you just can't know everything when you get out and you're not going to know everything when you're 10 years into this, but um, you're going to have a lot more questions than you think that you're going to when it's you and there's not anybody to tell you what to do. Um, So it's really great to have somebody that's, a good mentor or to work for a company that maybe um, lets you work under a more seasoned BCBA for a while. Um, And sometimes that's a hard pill to swallow because we want to have the training wheels off and just be out on our own. Um, But but you're really going to want some mentorship. So that's probably like the main thing that I would say to ask about. Um, And then LPC, goodness, as an intern, you don't have that many choices. <laughs> so so to interns, I would just say this is not your end-all be-all job that you end up with out after graduation. Just be happy that you have a job that pays your bills um, and focus on that because you, you will get to do what you want eventually. Um, and just as a counselor, I mean, just Focus on working for people that are ethical. I mean, that that goes for ABA and counseling. Um, I, I've seen a lot of interesting things occur out in both fields. And it's really up to us as practitioners um, to uphold our fields and make sure that they're, they're, they are well respected by the community. And the only way that we can do that is by you know, just being good people and following your ethical code. You know, it's there for a reason because you're going to have questions and um, that's important to follow. So those are kind of my tips for, you know, people starting out looking for jobs. And what's your long term plans in the field of behavior analysis? Do you think you'll maybe stick with more of the counselor side or you definitely want to try to maybe possibly integrate both of them together? Oh, man, that's a million dollar question. I really like that I have the option to go like either way. Um, the reason I got back into counseling was because I got really burnt out doing ABA. I was doing direct care as a BCBA and supervising like five RBTs and just kind of my head was spinning after a year of doing that. Um, and like I said, without a lot of mentorship, which again, very important. Um, so I've definitely enjoyed this two-year break from ABA. I've done some contracting on the side here and there, which I think is a really good balance for me because I still get to keep up my skills. Um, but it's not 
it's not my all day every day. I really like mm-hmm. talking to adults and, you know, being able to, like I said, to, to focus on those private events that are a no, no in ABA. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I definitely think, um, I would like to eventually have a full private practice. Um, I really want to do just only online counseling, um, primarily working with, like I said, women, um, with perinatal mood disorders, families, um, you know, that have children with autism and disabilities and really focus on that. But I would love to do more work um, just as far as kind of disseminating information to the counseling field about ABA and what it is and how it's applicable in counseling um, and kind of vice versa, because I think we feel like we have to stay in these like separate kind of areas And I think there's a lot that ABA can learn from counseling and counseling can learn from ABA. Um, So um, I would really like to somehow find ways to kind of bridge that gap Um, because ABA is, it's awesome and it's so effective and you would be shocked how many counselors that I tell that I have a BCBA and they go, what is that? And then I try to talk to them (laughs) about ABA and they're like, what is that? And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like the best kept secret. Um, so just finding some ways to kind of merge the two, um, would be great. And I think the more, I hate to say this because insurance is, is a good thing and we need it, but the more that we do private pay services as practitioners, the more we can kind of have some freedom, um, to bring different, you know, fields together and kind of be more collaborative in our care. Um, Mm -hmm. so I would love to kind of find some ways um, to disseminate information and merge the two for sure. Sweet. So we are going to go ahead and start wrapping things up. Okay. So, yeah. And I have two final questions for you that I always ask everyone. And the first question is, what advice do you wish you could have told yourself when you were getting into this field? Or is there something that you would have done differently? Wow. Okay. Um, so what I would tell myself getting into the field, and I think I kind of noted on this or, you know, touched on that is it's a lot more physical than I thought it was going to be. I I mean, that's true. I think regardless of any patient that you're working with in ABA, I never would have anticipated that I'd be doing big performances for toddlers to get them engaged. Um, uh, I think I expected it to be more similar, similar to counseling, you know, where you're sitting and you're having a conversation and maybe if you're working with kids, you're on the floor doing a puzzle. Um, but I never expected it to be quite as physical, um, as it is, which, which is a, is a good thing, but I, I just didn't realize that. Um, and then what was the other question? I'm sorry. Yeah. The final question was, if, is there something you would you wish you would have done differently? Yes. So I think that. I would have really benefited um, from getting more formal education um, in ABA. So there's there's some other programs. And if, if you are an RBT and you're kind of looking into getting um, your BCBA and maybe going like a different track, like through psychology and then a graduate certification, please find me and message me because I have some um, ideas of programs that might be better uh, than the one that I attended. It wasn't <laughs> bad, but it just wasn't very intensive. Um, and like I said, I have uh, 
one of my younger cousins is actually in a program right now and he's getting such a great education and I'm jealous and I want his materials because it's so interesting. Um, so I just think, like I said earlier, really research where you go to school. Word of mouth is great, but that's not everything. Um, so just do your research, you know? Yeah. And I think that plays a that plays a huge part in how we learn and mm-hmm. why we're learning. We want to make sure we have like the correct amount of supervisors. We don't want to graduate and have a twenty client caseload and be overworked and then burn out and like then the whole process was just it was ruined. Exactly. And I think you learn so much in your practicum, but you still need to have those good fundamentals and basics in place or you're going to get overwhelmed even more so. So you know, pay attention in school and go to go to a good good school. So <laughs> that those are kind of my advices. Yeah. And so where can listeners find more about you and your dissemination efforts? Are there any social media platforms they can find you on or find more information about what you're doing? Yes. So I have an Instagram and a Facebook um, and both of those are Eden Davis Counseling. Um, I am in the process of changing my last name if I if the government buildings um, will ever open up again um so eventually it'll be eden simmons but i plan to keep all of the same like pages active and then i'm also on psychology today um just eden davis in odessa texas and that's got all kinds of information about how to set up an appointment if you know somebody um that kind of fits those um niches that i talked about um so yeah that's where they can find me Well, Eden, it was a pleasure of a time having you on today. And I learned so much about you, especially cognitive behavior therapy. I feel like we hear a lot about CBT and ACT and relational frame theory. So it was interesting hearing uh, cognitive behavior therapy from your viewpoint. Well, great. I'm I'm glad to disseminate some counseling information to the ABA field. Um, And I really enjoyed talking to you as well. All right. Well, thanks for coming on the Behavior Trap Podcast. Thank you. Well, everyone, I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Eden. This conversation is really important to me as there are tons of RBTs struggling currently due to the epidemic that we're currently going through. If you want, listen to the podcast again. Every view counts, and every dollar that I earn from this podcast is going to go straight to the RBT support fund. Don't forget, you can follow the Behavior Trap podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and Google Podcasts. Also, if you're enjoying these podcasts, then give this podcast a five-star rating on wherever you're listening to this. Some positive reinforcement goes a long way. Looking forward to talking to more Everyday Behavior Analysts. See ya!